Welcome to the Everything Music Ed Podcast. I'm your host, Tom Borning. In this podcast, you'll hear from educators, performing musicians, conductors, composers, and others about their experiences in learning and teaching music. If you have any questions, show ideas, or you yourself would like to be on the Everything Music Ed podcast, please feel free to email me at everythingmusiced at gmail.com. In today's episode, we talk with composer Randall Standridge. We discuss how, when, and why he began composing, and we also talk about him making the difficult choice to become a full-time composer and stop being a band director. He also tells us about his publishing company, Randall Standridge Music, and about his current consortium that he is working on. I hope you enjoy Randall Standridge. Is your main instrument trombone? Uh, no, it's uh, percussion. Oh, wow. Okay. Okay. So it was funny just because you I've seen a couple posts and then there was like a video. And I always sort of try to guess. I love trying to guess composer's uh, instrument, which I can never get right. And, and uh, you want to hear what my guess was going to be for you? Which was what? Saxophone. Yep. Not that either. Um, but, uh, I mean, like as far as the trombone thing, I mean, I'm very comfortable on trombone. It's one of my ma- major secondary instruments. Okay. Um, but, uh, no, percussion is my main thing. Ah, okay. My wife's too. Uh, that's, that's great. Um, yeah, I've, I, I've never gotten one right. Whenever I, you know, think, oh, this person writes so good for this instrument. I, they must be this, you know, and I feel right. like. Some of your tunes always have, I feel like some of your tunes have some really nice saxophone lines. And I'm like, mm, I wonder if he's a uh, saxophonist. Uh, but it just worked out that way. Well, no, the big thing is I just believe in using all of the instruments pretty much equally. And that's actually a major, like from an educator's standpoint, that's a major thing with me to make sure that all the parts are engaging it was also one of the major reasons I started writing music for my band because a lot of the things were just, if you were not trumpet, clarinet, or flute, your parts were boring. And I think we can do better. Yeah. Yeah. No, this is, this is great. I'm here with Randall Standridge, right? Yes. Okay. I'm just making sure, you know, it's like one of those things. Oh, you can probably fix me on this one just because I don't know the answer. I've never met him, even though he's one of my favorite composers. Brian Bal... Bal Mages. Bal Mages? Uh, Mages. Mage, Bal Mages, good. That's Love what, him. Well, at least that's what I've always called him, and he and I are friends, and he has never corrected me, so... <laughs> will right. Yeah, I saw you guys had a picture. You were in Texas, maybe? Oh, yeah, yeah. He and yeah. I have been friends for years now. I've heard people say, to Kelly, to Chelly, all that, and I'm like, okay, wait. So I always right. want to make sure I get people's names right, but thanks so much for coming on here, and I appreciate it. So usually we, we start off and um, like to hear about your musical upbringing in terms of like what you remember about music as a young kid and up through your school years and 
through college, sort of like the fast forward overview part of it. Sure. So to give your listeners a little bit of my background, um, first of all, I think it's important to know where I'm from, which is Jonesboro, Arkansas. That's where I live now. However, I was raised and grew up in Little Rock, Arkansas, which is you know, the state's capital city. Um, I, the family that I grew up in, um, which I want to make very clear, I'm very proud of my family. I'm very, you know, I, I love my family dearly. But we, I think when people think of composers, like if they ever think of what type of background we have, I think there's probably all a little bit of this like idea that a lot of us come from, you know, privileged backgrounds, like, you know, well-to-do parents, people that might already be in the music industry. And while that certainly might be true for some composers, that is definitely not true for me. I come from a very humble background in terms of my family. Uh, my father was a factory worker my entire childhood. My mother was a stay-at-home mom for most of it, although she eventually got a job at a daycare. So, you know, my family is very, like, lower middle class. And um, But one thing I can say for my parents and my family is both my mother and my father are very creative people. And me and my brothers, I have two older brothers, me and my brothers were always very encouraged to be creative and to express ourselves and to kind of explore any of our interests. So... From an early age, I had, both of my older brothers are very musical. My oldest brother, Ronnie, is really into singing. He's into old Hollywood musicals, and so I was exposed to that from a very early age. Then my middle brother, for total contrast, um, was a guitarist you know, during his teenage years, and he was very into you know rock and heavy metal and things like that. And of course, I mean, you know, these were the two people that I really looked up to, you know, these were my older brothers. So... I was just kind of brought up around some musical ideas. And then when I started getting interested in music, I just kind of found my own way with it. Um, it actually all started when my brother Scott got a electronic keyboard for Christmas. Uh, this is the guitarist I'm talking about. He got a, a keyboard because my parents thought he would enjoy that. And he played with it for a little bit, but he really wasn't interested in it. You know, he was more into his guitar and everything. So it was just kind of sitting there not being used. And one day I just kind of started tinkering around with it. And I you know, started with the things that I think a lot of kids know, like heart and soul and then uh, you know, chopsticks. And then also picking out like Mary Hill, you know, just by ear because you know, I, I certainly could not read music. And eventually I started you know, listening to things on the radio, listening to things on TV. And I would pick these things out. And I didn't know it at the time, but I was teaching myself ear training just by being able to, to hear pitches and pick them out. I do not have perfect pitch, but I got very good at just using my ear to pick things out. Eventually, with that creative drive that I had, it just became natural to want to start creating music. And so I started writing you know, little melodies, little things like that, just at a very early age. Then I uh, was able to join band when I was in junior high, and I was assigned percussion because the band directors knew that I had a little bit of experience with piano, even though I could not read a lick of music. Like, I could not read music at all. But I, I showed them that I, you know, I knew my way around a piano pretty well, and so they put me in percussion. And during my band experience, I had a great band experience at Sheridan High School in Arkansas. Uh, my band director was Ron McCone, and to this day, he's one of my best friends. Then uh, I started writing music, you know, during that time. Like, I would write, mainly, you know, since I was a percussionist, I would write percussion ensembles, snare drum solos, things like that. Um, I wrote the first thing I ever had performed. I wrote a drumline cadence for me and my friends in junior high, and we played it at you know football games, at, at junior high, you know basketball games, and it was just such a thrill to hear something I had written, you know, be played. So from then I got a little bit more of the bug and started writing more. 
then you know, flash forward to college, I decided to become a music educator. So I went to Arkansas State University in Jonesboro, Arkansas, which is where I live now. And, you know, was pursuing a degree because even though I enjoyed composing because of my background, because of that humble background, it was like composition was never a field that, that I saw for myself as a viable career option. You know, just, you know, people like me, like, you know, being a teacher was a major step up. Like, you know, this you know, idea of having, you know, a pension, having a steady income, being in somewhat of a respectable field, like this was a big step up. And so for me, that was enough, but I did still enjoy composing. So during my college years, I ended up taking composition lessons just for fun. Like there was never any ambition of being a full-time composer. It was just, you know, oh, I'm going to do this because I enjoy it. So I studied with Dr. Tom O'Connor and had a great time. He was a great, great, great teacher. Then I graduated, became the director of bands at Harrisburg High School, which is just 15 miles south of Jonesboro. And I was there for 12 years. And during that time, I started writing pieces for my own band and they seemed to enjoy it. And so I eventually started trying to get things published. Um, and I got rejected a lot. And I want your listeners to know, like, I think there's always this perception of people that are successful that there's this like instant success or, you know, it's not terribly difficult, but that was not the case for me at least. I mean, again, I can't speak for everybody, but for me, I got rejected so much. And in fact, I've got a uh, letter that I keep right by my desk that is for, was from one of the publishing houses that I had sent like about four or five things to and gotten rejected on every single thing. There was a handwritten note at the bottom of the fifth one that I got. And it said, and I quote, cause I'm looking at it right now, by the way, there are already far too many band composers. You should probably find something else to do. Now, it's interesting, too, and for your listeners, you, you got to keep in mind, wow. this is, yeah, wow, indeed. But this is before social media. So, like, you can imagine that, like, if anybody did that now, oh, my gosh, cancel. Oh. Cancel that whole yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, but, they, but, you know, that, and, and to this day, I will never, you know, discuss. Because, actually, the irony is the person who sent me that note has, in the interim, become one of my friends. And I never mm -hmm. fail to remind them of that. Oh, okay. Uh, they, I mean, they are, they are a little hangdogged and ashamed of it now. They're like, yeah, I had a bad attitude, so... Anyway, wow. but all the, the point okay. of all that is, you know, I did not experience instant success, but I did have perseverance and I did have that kind of like, you know, I'm not easily defeated attitude. And so I just kept submitting. And finally, I got a piece published by Grand Mesa Music. Uh, the editor there and owner was Walter Cummings. Uh, the first piece I got published was Fields of Clover. And it was, you know, relatively well received. It wasn't like a big hit, but it was received enough to where it, afforded me the opportunity to be taken a little more seriously with Grand Mesa Music. And so I sent them a few more pieces. And then finally, I had a couple of like breakout pieces, uh, the first of which was Afterburn. And then the I followed that up with Adrenaline Engines. And uh, both of those were relatively big hits. And so from there, my career just took off. Um, unfortunately, you know, at the time I was still teaching and I um, decided to go back for a master's. And I'll tell you why this is unfortunate in a second, because um, I went back for a master's, had a great master's program. I studied with uh, Dr. Tim Christ at Arkansas State. But basically during that time, I was just overworking myself because I was going to school. I was doing a band directing job, which is, I mean, I don't have to tell you, it is a full-time job. It's a big commitment. And then experiencing a very successful composition career, which of course has its own set of time demands and attention that must be paid to it. And so all of that kind of spiraled until I was just 
you know, at the near, quite frankly, near a nervous breakdown. Like I was just, I was so overworked and so tired. Mm-hmm. So I decided to quit teaching and pursue full-time composition, which was the single hardest decision I ever made in my life. Cause I loved, I can only imagine. Yeah, I mean, I loved teaching, um, but I just knew for my own happiness and my own sanity, I had to pick. And so I was like, well, you know what? I've taught for 12 years. Let's try the composition thing. And if it doesn't pan out, I will very, very happily go back to teaching. Cause I do enjoy that profession. But anyway, it has worked out. Quit in 2013 to do this, um, you know, and, and the career has continued. Uh, three years ago, I started my own publishing company, Randall Standards Music, uh, and uh, that brings us up to present day. So here we That's are. That's amazing because, I, I, I mean, I give you so much credit for that. Every now and then I think, oh, I could be a professional tournament player. I could just gig and – you know, have fun and teach them lessons on the side like most sort of pros do. I just, I would be so uncomfortable with like, well, didn't get a lot of gigs this month. I guess uh, I'm eating ramen or something, you know? And uh, so that's, uh, my hat's off to you on that one. That is incredible. So when you, you first, you first started composing, when you sent off, your materials did you always send like a recording of it or did you um like how did i'm assuming yeah like finale or sibelius or whatever you use like you had it looking like as pro as possible or how how does that how does that work oh yeah so back in the day when i first started submitting you know you were generally expected to send a physical copy of something so you know this this wasn't just like an email or anything you know the, the 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 um, companies had not quite gotten onto that yet. So I would send, you know, I would print off really nice copies on really good stock paper because I wanted to look as professional as possible, made my score look as pristine as it could. And then also just generate an MP3 of like finale, you know, a finale rendering of what I was doing and, you know, burned it to a CD because, you know, this was again before yeah. MP3s and things and, you know, and would send that in. And so it was a little bit more laborious of a process than like it is today because, of course, today, um, you know, you would just send like an MP3 and a PDF of the score, uh, which is good and bad. And I can tell you that, you know, from having been a composer myself and then also as a publisher, because I, I feel sometimes like because things have gotten so immediate that some people are rushing the editing process. Um, and I can, I mean, I can feel that very well myself. Like it's very tempting to just have that instant gratification of, oh, this is ready. Let's send it out. But, you know, back when I first started, you know, since you really got that one shot and you, you were kind of investing in it with these physical materials, I think it was probably a little slower in terms of like the preparation and getting things ready to send as opposed to that just instant. Oh, I just wrote this. You know, I finished this 10 minutes ago. I'm sending it to somebody. So it's, it's a little different now. Yeah, it's funny. I mean, I would it's tough to call myself an, a composer, but I, I have written a few uh, young jazz band pieces. Uh, my, I have a fifth and six, I'm a fifth and sixth grade band director now. Um, I taught high school for eight years, but I've been fifth and sixth grade uh, for the last whatever my math is bad seventeen years. And um, you know, I like you. You said earlier when we were talking earlier uh, about how you were just never really happy. Like, oh, if if you played certain instruments, don't have you know what it you know you never get the melody and their parts are really boring you know or you know and I would feel that way about fifth and sixth grade jazz band music um first of all it's tough to find music specifically for fifth and sixth graders and 
second of all, some of the stuff that I do find would be like, okay, the second alto saxophone has like a bunch of accidentals or is are going pretty low on the instrument. It's like, well, maybe my first alto could do that, but my second, my 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 not as good kids in theory, whatever. If if you're gonna, you, that's how you're doing your first and second parts. Their parts should be like for my kids, like six, seven, maybe eight pitches tops. So like, I made a few jazz band arrangements slash uh, my own pieces, and I did did send paper copies and a CD recording because it was a while ago. Um, I had a couple nice notes. I didn't get a mean letter like you though. <laughs> Yeah. So, well, and and I want to go back to what you said about you know not calling yourself a composer. I, I don't think that's the case at all. Anybody who writes is a composer. One thing that I try to you know encourage people against in our current climate is because of you know what we I think because of social media, the perceptions of everything have always gotten so amplified, and I, I like to call it the American idolization of you know art and creativity, because you know for example like. Yeah, I mean, I'm a, I'm a singer. I enjoy that. Like, I enjoy doing karaoke and things. Yeah, you know, would I win on American Idol? Absolutely not. Like, I wouldn't even make it past the audition. But that doesn't make me not a singer, you know. And I, I think there's that perception in social media and culture right now, where you know, if you're not at the top of the game, if you're not like a you know a, a influencer, or if you're not you know, some type of notorious star that, oh, well, I'm not really that thing. Well, yeah, you are. Like, it doesn't matter. Anybody who picks up a pencil to draw a doodle is an artist. So, you know, I, I uh, so yeah, don't be afraid about calling yourself a composer. Because if you write music, you know, spoiler alert, you're a composer. Well, I mean, not getting paid to compose. <laughs> but, um, so when you went to call, I mean, I'm assuming in high school, you probably didn't have any classes that dealt with composition or you didn't have any books maybe you did i don't know but did you take composition classes at all or anything in high school or college i never took any composition classes until i was in college uh which is when i took composition you know of course i had like music theory and and things like that uh, in college in high school my music experience was pretty much limited to band having said that you know i will say that i was very lucky to have a you know a whole set of band directors the team that was at sheridan when i was there that uh, were very, very conscious about not only teaching us to play, but also teaching us music literacy and making sure that, you know, we just knew things. So I was able to pick up a lot from that. And then also just kind of by trial and error. Um, It was just something I wanted to do. So I would, you know, occasionally ask Mr. McCone, you know, hey, can I look at the scores? Can I look at things like that? Because, of course, you got to keep in mind, too, you know, this, again, before the Internet, um, yeah, I, I couldn't just get on J.W. Pepper's website and look up scores or, you know, get on Muse score or anything like that. So it, it was a little bit different. Now, I, sometimes I really wish that I would have grown up during this time because, I mean, I would have been a total junkie for the amount of music stuff that you can get now. But at the same time, I don't know if I would change anything really, though, because I think, you know, me being forced into my own avenues of creativity just kind of made me the composer I am. So, you know. So would I have enjoyed it? Yeah, but you know, I I think in the large you know scheme of things, I'm pretty happy with how things turned out. Yeah, you should be. I'm 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 pretty addicted to your music right now. It's uh, I'm you know I get um, I'm very picky about the music that I choose, as most people are, but um, especially f- for my kids, 
you know, if I'm doing a grade half piece or a grade one piece, say, and um, uh, and then all of a sudden there's a nine stroke roll in the percussion part, I'm like, what are we doing? I, okay, I guess I'll rewrite. I like this piece. Uh, I guess I'll rewrite the snare drum part, right? You know, like, or yeah. Um, and that's, but I feel like, especially because you have the ba- the band director background, uh, it seems like you understand that, and I think that's. You know, plus I would I would say that's why a lot why your music is being played so much right now. Do you think that probably has something to do with it? Well, I mean, I can't speak to you know why people are choosing my music, but you know, I, I will definitely say that I, as particularly my grade one through two music, I definitely approach it with an educator's heart because you know, I was a teacher for twelve years, and I think people also. I think you have to understand the type of situation that I taught in because that had such a huge impact on me as well. Um, I taught it, first of all, I taught at a Title I school, uh, you know, very low socioeconomic uh, status. Um, so, you know, kids that were coming from disadvantaged households. On top of that, this was a very small school. So for most of the years that I was at Harrisburg, I was the only band director. So like I taught grades five through 12 by myself for you know for for eight of the 12 years I was there and it gave me a very good insight into how students develop and in how and and in what way you know what do they need like what do students need to be able to develop so a lot of things that I've gotten published that are like what I would say like primary educational tools a lot of it is stuff that I wrote for my students I mean I'll give you an example I've got this piece that was published by Alfred Music Um, it's called Half Past Two and it's a rock piece, but what it focuses on is dotted quarter eighth rhythms. So, you know, it starts off just like, bum, 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 bum. And I would consistently, pretty much every year with my middle school band, we would use that to introduce Great. dotted Great. quarter eighths rhythm. And, of course, the kids loved it because it was a rock chart. So it was kind of like putting, you know, sprinkling a little sugar on their medicine and then teaching them something. <laughs> and, uh, that's a great so, way to but, put you know, it. But uh, that's, you know, I, that's just the kind of thing that I did. So I... I definitely approach music with an educator's eye. Uh, but then at the same time, the trick besides that is the music still has to be creative. It still has to be aesthetically appealing and it can't sound like a line out of a book. Right. Um, so right. you have to sometimes find that balance. And I, I, w- I will say that that's what I try to do. Whether I am successful or not, that is up to other people to decide. <laughs> well, you said, uh, you said something about, you know, the band that you taught was, you know, low socioeconomic. And um, I remember it made me think of a post that you put on Facebook recently about, you said something along the lines of like, don't compare your band to the band down the street. And it's, it's really, that really struck me just because it can be very easy to do. You know, you, you know, just I can drive twenty minutes and get to a place where people, you know, the the houses are trailers, or I could drive twenty minutes the other way, and everybody's house makes mine look like a shack. And and comparing yourself to those communities and everything like that, it's not really uh, appropriate. And so, I think that is very easy to do. And I was, it was just refreshing to see that post from you. Um, oh, yeah. And, I mean, just to give you an idea about my situation, I mean, my, my band program was very good. Now, it, it was not when I first took it over. 
Um, but the kids there were great. Like regardless of their socioeconomic status, they, they really were great kids. Um, I have a lot of love for them all the way to this day. But, um, you know, the thing is just realistically, just because of our means, like, I mean, I was a single director for eight of those years. And again, so, you know, I can only, there's only so much I can do. You know, we, we have bands in my community, just like you said, you know, 10 minutes down the road, 20 minutes down the road, some that compete at, you know, Bands of America National, you know, championships, some that have six band directors on staff, some that have, you know, just all these advantages that we did not have. And that was an, a lesson I really had to learn very, very quickly was, you know, just to not compare myself because, and, and to be satisfied with what I could do because, you know, I can't do the work of six directors. And more importantly, I don't feel like in our um, culture, in our music education culture, we should glorify people, you know, basically killing themselves for the job. You know, you do what you can do it and do it to the best of your ability. Don't get me wrong. I mean, when we're at work, we should give a hundred and ten percent. But we also have to realize that our means and our time are finite. And as long as we're improving a little bit from day to day with our band, doesn't matter what the band down the street's doing. But as long as the band in front of you is better than the band that was in front of you yesterday, then you are on the right track. And then also remember that you know, as soon as you get to the next school year. Total reset. Don't even compare to last year's band because it's a whole new beast. Sure. So do you feel like your social media presence is very important to your job right now? Well, I think for any composer working today, I think social media is important um, because it's just, it's the, it's become, I think, even a larger media set than TV as far as like how do people engage with the world. Um, you know, it's, I think it's easier to find people now who are watching the same TikTok channels than it is to, you know, it's watching the same TV programs. <laughs> yeah. almost. And, uh, so I think just, you know, really being a citizen of the world and being realistic about the kind of world we're living in, um, I would absolutely say that social media is important because it's, you know, it's just the way that so many people are consuming the world right now. And so, um, for me, it's very important for, to get my message out there, to get my aesthetic and my viewpoint out there. Um, and just to be, you know, a part of the music community at large. Yeah. I mean, I just, there's been a few of your posts recently that have really like hit me. There was another one where I think you went to, I think you conducted at a music festival and you were conducting like the quote fingers up second band or whatever. And someone was like, oh, sorry, you had to conduct the second band. And you're like, whoa, uh, whatever. You know, it is what it is. And I knew the level I was getting into and it, we had a lot of fun. Or, and, and Yeah, well, and it's, and it's not even just that. I mean, I think because of my, yeah, the, the point of my career that I'm at and the success that I had, I think they were mainly apologizing because I think they thought that I expected like, well, I should be, you know, conducting the top band, blah, blah, blah. And, you know, again, that's because most people now know me as a composer and they don't know me as an educator because honestly, like, I mean, I'll teach anybody. Um, I will, you know, and I'm happy to, like, I, I never consider it like a, a secondary thing or whatever. You know, I, I've conducted, you know, the very top, you know, level of high school honor bands. And I've also conducted like, you know, the very, um, you know, most developing levels of middle school bands as well. And I'm happy teaching any of them. So I, you know, it's one of those things where I try to make sure I keep everything in perspective and look at every opportunity like that as just an opportunity to teach and an opportunity to, to give back. 
Um, and also to bring out that, that part of my personality that was a teacher. Because as I mentioned earlier, like I really miss the job. And so any chance I get to go out and teach, you know, it's just a great opportunity. And I think you know, sometimes that would be a good lesson for a lot of conductors, not just guest conductors, but even bands working you know, at their home bands, is you, know, you need to teach the band in front of you as opposed to the band that you wish you had. And, you know, every, every time we get in front of a group, it's an opportunity to affect change within those lives and thus in the world. You could almost frame that into another post. <laughs> it's like you're, you're really good at that stuff, man. It's incredible. Um, and I really appreciate it because I, I agree so much with what you're saying. You know, every, every year is so different. You know, there's sometimes where I'm like, oh, my gosh, I can't believe how good this band is. And then, you know. The next year you'd be like wow am i losing it am i not as good oh i we just we have different kids you know and situations are different and you adjust and do what you got to do mm -hmm. did you expect yourself to be doing so much guest conducting i feel like you're doing a decent amount of guest conducting are, 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 is that something that you thought would hopefully happen when you became a composer full-time um not really i mean for me the big the big you know idea was just to you know, write. I just write and, and get music out in the world. But as far as like, you know, the guest conducting thing, that's been a nice opportunity in addition to this. Um, so, uh, but no, no, it definitely wasn't anything I was expecting. Um, and actually, I'll, I'll be, if I'm being perfectly honest, it's something that I'm stepping back from a little bit um, over the next couple of years. Not really because of, I mean, like I'm, I still enjoy it and I, I will still accept opportunities. But the past couple of years, um, I feel like I took on, you know, quite a few gigs and all of them were fun. All of them were great, but I just, uh, I think I'd like to spend a little more time at home. You know, I, I almost feel like I've been on the road too much. Sure. And so I'm going to be accepting fewer gigs. Um, you know, I'll be very happy for the ones I do accept, but it's just, you know, I know that, you know, in addition to my job as a composer and as a publisher and conductor, I mean, I've got a home life, you know, I've got, I'm married. I've been married for 26 years. I've got friends, um, I've got pets, I've got, you know, a life outside of the job. And I want to make sure that I'm tending to it as well as to the composer persona. So you have a you have a project going on right now, I believe. Is, um, maybe explain that a little bit. Is it a commission or is it a consortium? What, what's the... Um, so what I'm doing right now, if you're referring to the, the thing I just started this week... Um, this is a new consortium. Um, there's been this project that me and my company have undertaken over the past couple of years called the Unbroken Project, which is a initiative to create pieces and artistic opportunities to explore uh, mental and emotional health uh, with students and with directors and audience members, quite frankly. Uh, I myself live with some you know, mental health conditions, like I have anxiety and depression, both of which I am medicated for and have had therapy for. So you know, I'm very grateful for those tools to be able to function in the world successfully. But um, we started this initiative to just provide opportunities for people to, you know, to talk about these things and not feel so isolated or taboo about discussing them. So there's been quite a few pieces in the series, and I've, I've had an idea for a couple more, and so I started a consortium this week to support and fund these projects. Um, it's going to be a consortium for two pieces, and the groups can choose to sponsor both, just one or the other, so you know, there's some flexibility there. But the pieces, um, the first one is called Scream, and it is um, just, it's really just the idea of like, 
turning negative emotion into catharsis, like channeling energy into action um, and processing it in a more, you know, negative emotions in a more healthy way. So it's going to be extremely aggressive, and it's going to be a grade 1.5, and um, it's, of course, we're going to have some vocalizations and things within it. Um, a couple of interesting features of that piece, uh, we're going to be using some 12-tone for grade 1, um, but I've figured out a way to make it work. So you know, to the listeners out there that are a little doubtful or dubious, number one, the entire piece is not 12-tone. There's just like key moments. Because uh, we want to go for like super aggressive, you know, sound, and, and I want to, you know, that'll be an interesting introduction to that idea sure, for your yeah. musicians. And then the second thing is, um, and your listeners won't be able to see this, but I'll hold this up real quick. We're going to be using this right here as one of the uh, percussion instruments, which is called an Aztec death whistle, um, and it is one of the most horrible sounding instruments I have ever heard in my life because it it literally sounds like somebody screaming. Um, Come on, would, let would you rip. like to hear let it? Let it yeah. rip. I'm going to have to aim it a little bit. <laughs> sure. It's pretty loud, but this is what it sounds like. Oh. Yeah. Oh, my so, word. So the piece is going to call, <laughs> the piece is going to call for that. Um, so that I think it will just be, it'll be a fun uh, piece because, you know, younger musicians, they love aggressive music. They love minor mode stuff. Sure. And I think this will be a good good way for them to channel some emotions and, and kind of talk about, you know, like what do we do with our negative emotions? The second piece in the consortium is a little more serious in tone. Um, and it all started with, um, I had this moment a, a couple months ago. I was on a trip with a friend and we were just walking down the sidewalk and I looked in front of me and there was a gentleman walking in front of me and he had this shirt on. And it said, hey, person behind me, the world is better with you in it. And this really struck a chord with me, mainly because, and I mean, I'm not shy about saying this, and uh, to your listeners, I will say, if this is a little triggering, I apologize. Um, but, you know, as I mentioned, I live with depression and anxiety, and part of my symptoms and part of my, you know, experience with depression is when my depression gets really bad, I experience suicidal, suicidal ideation. Um, I have never tried to act on it. I've never you know, had any attempts or anything like that. But, um, you know, it's something that I've had therapy for and something that I, uh, you know, have to deal with as part of my condition. And be, you know, because, of my, um, because of my tools that I have to, to manage my conditions, I oftentimes have hope. I, I know that, like, no matter how bad my depressive episodes get, I, there's that light of, you know, I know things are going to be okay. I know this is not forever. I know that I'm going to be fine. But, you know, for people that may not have those tools or may be experiencing things, you know, a little bit more viscerally, and we all know, you know, middle school students, high school students, um, their emotional experience is so visceral and it's so, everything is so immediate. And so just right now, you know, when they face some of those, it can be quite terrifying for them. Because I mean, I remember myself as a teenager going through those things and it, it was very scary. And, you know, you don't always feel like things are going to be okay. And you don't always feel like, um, you know, there is going, you know, that, that this is not going to be forever. And so, um, you know, I'm writing this piece uh, and it actually carries the thing like right under the title. The title of the piece, by the way, is called Stay. Um, but right under it, you know, right above where the players will start playing, it just says, you know, hey, you, the world is better with you in it. And um, I'm certainly not naive enough to think that that will solve anything. Like I mean, but what I do hope is that it will at least maybe spark thought and some conversations. 
because um, now I want to make very clear to your listeners and to you, like, I mean, I do not consider myself to be a therapist. I am not a psychologist. Um, I am not licensed to, to help anybody, okay? And I want to make that very, very clear. So you know, to the listeners out there, if you're experiencing similar things, please, please, please get help. Um, and don't be afraid to ask for it. Um, so, you know, there's no shame in it. There's nothing. Just get the, the help and the tools you need to lead a happy and successful life because it is possible. Um, sometimes you just need a little help. But um, but again, you know, I, I just think with with anybody, if we want to affect change in the world, we have to look at the platforms we have. We have to look at the talents we've been given. And in my case, it happens to be my music. And so this is how I try to affect change and try to affect conversation. And, you know, not to sound cliche, but if it even helps a little bit, then it makes me very, very happy and proud. Absolutely. No, I, I mean, isn't that a great thing about today? I feel like over the past few years, you know, there used to be sort of a stigma attached to like seeing a therapist or getting help for your issues or admitting that you had issues you know, and now I feel like that's going away and I feel like it's, a, you know, not that you have to talk about it, but sometimes that is cathartic, it, you know, but, uh, but it's, you can talk about it and not feel like an outcast or feel like there's something wrong with you and that you can get help and that's okay. In fact, it's actually really good for you and it's completely normal to, to do that. Oh yeah, well exactly. And you know, a lot of times the biggest walls we have to overcome in terms of dealing with our own, you know, issues um is the ones that are self-created. Because, you know, for for many people, it's you know, it, there's just that step of asking for help. I mean, it's not even like somebody else isn't offering it to them. It's just, you know, you have to be willing to number one admit that you need help, which can be hard. I think, you know, because particularly I think um in today's culture just the idea of admitting that you have an issue that needs to be addressed and that you have an issue that you might need help with. Um, there's just that sense of shame and that sense of self disappointment, you know, and, uh, which there shouldn't be, you know, because to me, what I compare it to, uh, one of my brothers, um, is diabetic, you know, and he has to take insulin for his condition. My son. And, well, exactly. And so for me, you know, I have this condition that I live with that if I want to be a happy, well-adjusted you know, productive adult, um, I need these tools to help me manage my condition. There's no shame in it. There's nothing wrong, you know, wrong with me, like in the sense that I'm broken or, or a disappointment. I just, you know, I just have this condition that needs help. And it's no different than having any other physical ailment or anything. You know, you just, you need help and you need to get the tools. I'm so curious about, uh, so many things, uh, but I, I'm trying to like, uh, not go on forever here. Uh, so I saw you composed a jazz piece and that got performed at Midwest. How, how did that go, by the way? Oh, it went really well. That was um, um, with uh, the, um, and if I'm misquoting the name, I apologize because it's, it's been quite a few days. Like I've been, I've been writing music left and right. So I've, sure. It's, I got to tell your listeners, like sometimes when I, I get on a jag and I'm like writing music just nonstop, 
because um, it's going well because like literally the last two days I finished a piece in two days like and, and just it burned through it just because the, the the you know creative fire was in it. but there's always that couple days after I do something like that that I just feel so profoundly stupid like I've got this mental fog that just because it's like I overexerted my brain <laughs> and unfortunately that's the, the the state I'm in right now on this podcast so you know that's great but um, but anyway I, I wouldn't have noticed yeah but the uh, the Hindel jazz um middle school jazz ensemble and their uh, director george andrakakis um from chicago they commissioned me to do the piece and what's interesting is like i've never written a jazz chart before um i've written a lot of jazz inspired pieces because i mean i've my musical tastes run the gamut like i've i've got a, a broad range of styles that i'm comfortable with and i've definitely used jazz in a lot of my band pieces but i've never written like just a straight up jazz chart you know and so he commissioned me to do this for Midwest, which I, you know, I don't have to tell you is one of the largest um, gathering of you know, music educators in the world. It's one of the largest stages for this type of thing. And so when he asked me, you know, I mean, my first question, I was just like, okay, you know, George, thank you for thinking of me for this, but like, why? Why me? You know, and do you realize that I'm not Victor Lopez? Yeah, exactly. You know, <laughs> like, like, I mean, it's, but he was just like, he's like, well, I've played a lot of your concert band music. I just want to see what a, you know, a Randall Standards jazz chart would sound like. So I was like, all right. I mean, I mean, I was perfectly willing to do it, but I was just curious. I was just like, why? You've got all these brilliant jazz composers already working in the world. You know, why tap the, you know, the adrenaline engines guy? You know, why, why, t- why tap the Santa the Barbarian guy? You know? and, um, my, or my personal favorite, the rollicking Hanukkah guy. Well, thank you. Yeah. So, yeah, but, but you know, why me? And he, so that's what he said. And so I just took him at his word and, uh, you know, I wrote the piece. And then, of course, um, when I got to the editing part, I included him quite extensively just to make sure, you know, because he is a brilliant jazz educator. His group is amazing. And so getting his feedback into the piece and, you know, particularly for like, you know, well, this should probably be notated like this. Well, if you want them to do, you know, just making sure that I was doing exactly what I should do. Um, that was a, a great resource to have. So he, he was an absolute delight to work with. And so I was so pleased with, um, with, you know, the, the end product. And um, one of my favorite moments, though, was at Midwest. I got to attend one of their rehearsals, and of course, you know, they're up on they're up on a stage, they're up on you know things like that. And I'm just walking in, and um, so George was like, "Hey, Randall, do you want to you know come up here and say hi to the band?" And so I literally just box jumped from the ground up to the things, and it was funny because the kids' jaws just hit the floor. They they were like, "Are you some kind of superhero?" You know, and uh, it, was, it was just kind of funny. Um, but they, they were the kids were great. George was great. So it was it was just an all around fantastic experience. You don't do CrossFit, do you? Oh, I do not do CrossFit. Um, although oh, okay. it's funny you say that because I work with a trainer who does do CrossFit. So I would say like I'm I'm exposed to CrossFit ideas. Like he, we do some like CrossFit light stuff, um, and it's something that I am hopefully going to do soon. I'm having to work on my endurance because I actually have um, exercise induced asthma. And so, um, kind of, I'm just trying to build up the endurance because I mean, and I know I shouldn't be this way, but like, I don't want to get in my very first class and, you know, pass out and embarrass myself. Um, so I've been, I've been running a lot. I've been doing some things to try to build up the endurance because I like, as far as strength, I mean, I'm, I'm a lifter. Like I, I love lifting weights. I can lift some weight, but like, if you ask me to run a mile, like that's my kryptonite, you know? <laughs> sure. I think you'd. You know, this, how did this everything music ed podcast turn into an ad for CrossFit? Uh, but uh, <laughs> I I do CrossFit. 
I have never, I had never lifted a weight in my life until the summer of 2020. And now I love it. I love lifting weights. I love doing CrossFit. So, oh, yeah. and, and right now my cardio is, is not very good. You should do it, but that's, I'll, I'll, I'll stop with that. Is back to the original program. Uh, is it recording? Is there a recording of that jazz piece? Um, I think so. I mean, I, I'm pretty sure all of the Midwest concerts get recorded. So, I, yeah, and they usually release them on, uh, you know, Apple Music and Spotify and things like that within six months of, of the concerts. So I'm sure that will be out there. Um, I don't personally have a recording of it yet. Um, there's a MIDI mock-up um, of it on my SoundCloud channel. That oh, I just okay. put there, you know, but, but now again, I mean, it's just a MIDI mock-up. It doesn't sound near as good as a, a live group. Um, so, um, if there is one out there, I don't know about it, but I mean, I know there will be at some point. Great. So I guess, so that sort of leads me into the next question is you have your Randall Standridge, uh, publishing company. It, are you just doing your pieces or do you have other composers that are under your publishing company? Well, we started with mainly doing my pieces, um, and that's yeah, that was kind of just what I wanted to do at first to just kind of take control of my own creative direction. But eventually, I just saw the need for another outlet for you know, for more music in the world, um, particularly. Um, well, just to make a long story short, yes, we publish music by other composers, and we have a three-word motto that guides pretty much all of our creative and business decisions. Our three-word motive is uh, creativity, quality, diversity. Um, because you know, the most important thing for me is um, that music is creative and it's you know, pushing the envelope and, or, or at least you know, inspiring in some way. Um, quality, obviously, that speaks to itself. We want to make sure that it's educationally sound, that we're releasing a good product. And in regards to the diversity part of that, you know, uh, growing up as a member of the LGBTQ plus community, um, you know, which it's weird because a lot of the times, you know, you, the, the fine arts are stereotyped as, you know, that's a place where you see a lot of that. But really growing up, like in band, I never saw anybody in band culture that was like me, or at least that was not openly identified that way. And then, of course, you know, we have the whole issue of um, underrepresentation for um, women, com uh, you know, musicians, whether it be conductors, composers, performers, or whatever. Um, same thing for you know people of uh, you know minority populations, and so you know I really felt like it was my responsibility as somebody who you know is very openly a member of an underrepresented group you know the LGBTQIA plus community to do what I could to you know not only raise my own you know ship but allow that to you know to to provide an avenue for that as well. And now, of course, you know, having said that, I mean, we do publish music by, you know, straight white guys, too. But um, <laughs> but we do have an eye towards diversity and um, and just kind of, you know, well, I mean, let me give you an example. This is going to be a shocking um, statistic, but just to give you an example, because the problem with th there's lots of aspects that people are talking about with the diversity problem. But one of the things that I don't think people are talking about enough is the result of how systemic it has been. So, for example, um, this last year, uh, we received around 120 submissions for publication with Randall Standard Music for band, wow. uh, which is great. You know, it's great for us. It gave us a lot of things to look, you know, look through. Uh, now, if we look at the population, 
you know, population in, in, of humans, you know, a little more than half of the human population is female. Yep. Okay. We have, you know, over half our population is women. Um, and so, you know, by that logic, if, you know, if things were equal and equitable, you know, half of those submissions we got should have also been from women composers. You know, that's, I mean, that's, you know, if, if things were like they should be. Out of 120 submissions that we received, 19 were from women. And, you know, to me, what that says is that anytime there's a, a perception that this career or this channel is not open to somebody, um, you know, that, that group becomes less likely to pursue it yeah. because they don't see it as viable. So, I mean, there is no, and there is no fast solution for this, but again, what we can do is, you know, how are we becoming part of the solution? And I think, you know, uh, and and we're certainly not the only publisher doing that, but any publisher that's, you know, got an eye towards realizing that, you know, we need to change these systemic um, practices so that we can... Um, empower and enliven, um, you know, com- composers of all populations. I think that's important because what makes me, you know, cringe every time I think about it is how many great composers over the years have we lost simply because they did not see this as a viable career option. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And, I mean, it's 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 a very interesting question. And so, and you know, please understand, like I am just one person. Talk- there, there's a, you know host of people talking about this and enacting uh, different solutions in different ways and different things that are trying to enact change. Uh, so I, I don't want to come off as that, like I'm, I'm a very small part of that. Um, you know, so uh, it's, you know, it's, it's an, I think it's an exciting time. Um, and I, I'm, I'm going to be excited to see how music changes now that we are starting to see these new perspectives and new voices coming into, you know, into the fold, which is, is great. Yeah. No, that's the old representation argument. Uh, I remember years ago in my school system, we started off, the lady was actually talking about science and she pulled up like half a dozen sort of ads for like the science department at this major university and all these different, and it was all white guys, like all white guys, no women, no women of color, nothing, you know, and uh, it's the same thing for composers. And, you know, if you're always playing music by white guys, <laughs> then that's it. You know, I so I'm glad there's change starting. So that's good. A couple questions that I always ask all the people on the podcast is uh, what are your top few musical experiences ever as a performer, teacher or composer? Top few musical experiences. Um, that would that would definitely be you know like picking a favorite cookie because they're all so great. But if I if I had to say the ones that are particularly memorable for me, um, just last year uh, one of the military bands uh, came to the Arkansas um, state convention and they performed one of my works you know for basically my peers and friends from across state but they 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 gave a concert and they they wanted to program something by an arkansas composer and they performed my piece unbroken 
which is the piece that's you know started the whole Unbroken Project, and it's about mental health. And so that was very moving, not only because of their which I mean, needless to say, the performance. And by the way, they allowed me to conduct that performance. Oh boy! Um, so that was you know that was like driving a Rolls Royce, man. Like that was great. <laughs> but um, at any rate, they uh, you know they performed, and then afterwards, uh, talking to you know directors that I had known for years, and I mean you know been friends with. So many of them were coming up to share their stories about mental health in their families, with themselves, or whatever. And it was just like it opened this floodgate of conversation. So that was really special to me. Um, the second would be just this past year, um, I was commissioned to write my first uh, symphony for wind band. So, you know, a band symphony. And uh, I wrote this symphony called um, Symphony Number no. One, A Ghost Story, uh, which, by the way, for your listeners, is available to listen on Spotify and YouTube and iTunes and Apple Music and all that stuff. So please I listen. love your YouTube channel, by the way. Well, thank you. Thank you. But um, so I wrote, got to write that this last year, and it's by far, it is my favorite thing I've written. Like, it is, it is without a doubt my favorite I've written. This past summer, I was able to do the studio recording of that with a group of great, great musicians in the Indianapolis area. Um, and, you know, I got to conduct that as well. So it's me conducting on the recording sessions and all that. And it just, the product that we created, the, the recordings or thing, they are top notch. I mean, that group came in to play that day. And um, it's just, it's, re- I mean, aside from me being proud of the music that I wrote, the performance is just really, really spectacular. Oh, wonderful. And uh, last question. I'm so curious about this from you too, which is uh, when you choose to listen to music, what are you listening to? Oh gosh. What am I not listening to? Um, I, I am very much a target audience for pretty much every style of music. Um, I, I am not, um, I, I am not a snob at all. Like when it comes to music. So you might find me listening to, movie scores then you might find me listening to heavy metal and then you might find me listening to you know country music because i mean i am from arkansas you know i love country i love my country and bluegrass um then i'm listening to some rap and then i'm listening to some dubstep then i mean it's just it, it's all over the place um so it would be pretty much impossible for me to say to say i'm just listening to this now having said that i will tell you my favorite album of all time like if it like and i pretty much listen to it at least one beginning to end at least once a month oh great I, which is very simple and uh, you know it, but it's uh pink floyd's the wall oh okay um i just think that is the to me at least you know it is the single best album ever released it is so magnificent in its composition and in its emotional journey from beginning to end um it's just it's it's amazing you know yeah no i i had a feeling from your concert band music that i'm familiar with that you listen to a lot of pop and rock and stuff like that i can imagine just from some of the rhythms and stuff but you know you never know and uh but uh i i thought you would be you're you're similar to me actually i listen to just about everything at this i guess i will say being from the northeast i don't really ever really choose country but whenever i hear country especially lately country is almost rock now so it's uh i don't know i'm really liking that too so well, hey, Randall Standridge, or 
I know we, I don't really know you well enough, oh, but I want to call you Randy Standy. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> it's really fun. My wife, my wife, uh, former music teacher, is now a principal. And when she was hiring her recent band director in her school, she asked her, uh, "Who are some of your favorite composers?" And uh, she's like, "Oh, I like this person, this person, and good old Randy Standy." That's what she said to my wife. And I was like, Randy Standy. And then you, I saw you signed off as that. So I guess she didn't make that up. But Well, you know, it's funny how that came about because, um, like, I mean, I was, you know, traveling and doing some conducting things. And I, I was at this one. It was actually in the Northeast. It was in Pennsylvania. Um, and I, uh, uh, oh, gosh. Um, ugh, I cannot remember the name. I know it starts with, <laughs> it starts with an S. And uh, But anyway, I was there. And, um one of the kids, he was like, oh, I love my Randy Standy pieces. And I was like, oh, I, mean, I, thought that, no, I, mean, I thought that was kind of funny. I was like, oh, that's kind of funny. And then I was at another honor band on the West Coast. And some students said the same thing. And then I saw it kind of popping up online. So I don't know, like, where it actually started. But it just seems like it almost just kind of, you know, <laughs> like, you know, just kind of popped up almost uh, simultaneously in a lot of places. And the thing, too, is, you know... That's one of those things where I could be insulted by it. I could be, you know, highbrow and be like, oh, I would die before, you know, <laughs> being referred to like that. But number one, I don't take myself so seriously. I mean, it's not that serious. It's it's just banned, you know. <laughs> and uh, so, um, so, you know, I, I have a good sense of humor about it. And then second of all, um, I'm smart. I'm a smart enough businessman. I'm like, okay, this is branding. Like, this yeah. is it's easy to remember. It's catchy. Like, Sure, we will run with that. And that's how we ended up with uh, one of my free resources, which is the Handy Dandy Randy Standy Concert Bandy Warmups. <laughs> and uh, so, I mean, but, hey, you know, and, I mean, in this business, anything you can do to get people to remember your name, I, I mean, again, I did not come up with it, but I sure have used it. <laughs> Randall, thanks so much for coming on here. And, and if I had to make a t shirt, it would say, Our band lives are a lot better with randy standy in it well thank you thank you you know i mean seriously uh your music and you're such a great person and follow randall standridge on uh facebook and youtube and check his music out it's just wonderful everybody Thanks for listening to the Everything Music Ed podcast. Be sure to check out future episodes as we talk to other educators from different teaching environments and cover areas of instruction such as concert band, jazz band, marching band, chorus, orchestra, general music, music tech, special needs, and much more. The theme music for the Everything Music Ed podcast is Jig, composed and arranged by Wally Minko. Jig is performed by Wayne Bergeron, and can be found on his album, Full Circle. The Everything Music Ed podcast logo was created by Sarah Goulart.